This morning we have a group of brethren that are at the jail, right? Okay, third Sunday. <laughs> and they more than likely, I'm just going to be 99% sure, they more than likely sang a song that we sang. I'll fly away. <laughs> so those that go to the jail, they'll know whether it's on Fridays or on Sundays. That's probably one of the most requested songs other than, I think, Redeemed. I've been redeemed. And so I was thinking about that. And there's a, in the stanza where when, when these prison bars will be taken away and you're able to fly away, that just means a whole lot <laughs> from that vantage point. And we are in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ who we've, we've been preaching to um, at Davidson County Correctional uh, Center. And so I want you to keep in mind that there's always brethren all over the world that are singing the same songs and we have this wonderful fellowship with them. And it's about the subject matter that we're talking about this morning. Heaven. How often do you think about heaven? I mean, seriously, how often? If I had the mind, I would have put a, another survey on there just so you get more familiar with doing these surveys up on the devices and everything. But I really want to know because we talk about it from time to time. Of course, we sing songs that deal with heaven. But from a day-to-day, morning, afternoon, evening, every day, do we think about heaven? Do we long for it? I believe if we just went back a few generations ago, take away our modern way of living, including electricity, and uh, I think heaven would become a little bit more real. <laughs> the blessings of technology have also been a curse for us because we get so inundated, so saturated with the screen, so saturated with everything that it's easy then to forget about what is so grand and what is right before us heaven and I thought interestingly enough almost ironic that as I was going through preparing from last week for this sermon I was looking for what PowerPoint do you get the irony of this <laughs> talking about technology what PowerPoint could I use that would that would give us a glimpse of what heaven would look like and none of the images except for one general image that I didn't put up in here that had some sense of this picture, but even that failed what I wanted to share with you this morning. So I said, scrap the PowerPoint, <laughs> if I can't even get one to put it up there, because I want to paint for you a picture based upon Revelation 21 and the first few verses in Revelation 22, this picture, because if we cannot get a picture of what heaven is like, why long for it? But if it's something that you really, really want, and I know there are probably a ton of individuals that could do a much better job expressing and describing the glory of heaven. But if you could at least get that picture, and that picture becomes really connected to you, you will long for it. And when I say long for it, that everything in this life would be worth giving up because that's how much you long for heaven. So let's think about this. If we look at what society views as heavenly, and by the way, I'm guilty of using this word in a, in a way that probably doesn't do justice to heaven. For instance, I had something Julie reminded me of 
few days ago that tasted heavenly. <laughs> and, and I think we have this worldly way of looking at heaven. And I cannot help but remember worldly views that I have seen on TV showing heaven like a Bud Light commercial or one of these skimpy models trying to flaunt things and giving you the picture of heaven. It's all appealing to the flesh. And it's no wonder that even in the body of Christ, there can be a Christianized but worldly view of heaven. And that's most unfortunate. I think it blasphemes the very place by which God intends for us to, to have a dwelling with him. And so I cannot help but, but think about these things as we go into this lesson this morning because what I want you to do is have such a zeal that when we sing these songs, you cannot burst forth, but burst forth with great emotion, with great passion. Because that's, that's a place in which God has designated eternity of fellowship with him. And I'm going to say one more caveat before we actually get into Revelation 21, and that is this. There's debate, and the debate um, seems to be stirring up and maybe growing within the body of Christ as to the location, the geography of this heavenly Jerusalem, the city that we're going to dwell in, so to speak, as is given in John's vision. And that is, is it up in the sky somewhere in the ether? <laughs> Or is it going to be here, like in the days of Noah when the earth was renewed? And that is a debate, by the way, that you may not be familiar with, but it's going on. It's taking place among brethren, and there are those that are discussing these things. And here's my answer. I don't know. Guess what? I don't care. As long as it's with God, it's going to be amazing. That said... I want to pick up with this reading that Brad had read for us. I want to be able to read a, a lot of chapter 21, but I'm going to do it just little by little. And I want us to see this picture and see it from the, God's intention from the foundation of the world to John's vision. Okay? So let's pick up in, in chapter 21. And as I pick up in chapter 21, here's the picture of John's vision. Here's been this great battle between Jesus Christ... And all the imagery that he is given as being a, a great king sitting on a horse on his throne as a slain lamb. All these different imagery. But that's who we have fighting against the great serpent of old, the dragon of, of Revelation 12, this beast. And all the servants that belong to either party. That's this battle that's going on. And the victory has been won. And John picks up in chapter 21 with this victory and says, Now as Brad had read, I'm rereading this for emphasis, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God dwell, is with men, and he, is, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. In some translations it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, God is tabernacling, if you will. His dwelling is with his people. He goes on and says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There should be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for those or these words are true and faithful. I want to stop there and look at some of what's going on in this picture that John has because as he pictures this building, if you will, this city, this, this establishment, it is from looking at it from afar. And if you get this picture, and I mean, John is trying to take a vision that is heavenly and put it in terms that we living on earth that use our earthly senses can try to even conceive. And he gives a picture that is absolutely just glorifying. And we're not even getting into the details yet till we get to the latter part of the chapter. But what we have is this new heaven, new earth. I want you to go back to the very beginning. Go back to Genesis. Read the first three chapters. And if you recall in your own reading, for those that have been able to read the first three chapters in Genesis, here's a picture that God sets his most beautiful creation at, of which he says at the very end of chapter 31, it is very good. And chapter 2 summarizes the first few verses of that creation process and gets into the specific of man himself, the creation of man. And after man is created, he is placed in this garden, the Garden of Eden, the, the garden of which God had specifically made for man to dwell in this perfect abode with God. The garden was the tabernacle of man and God. That's where he dwelt. That's where they dwelt as far as he being in their midst. Perfect. Beautiful. In fact, today we even use the word Eden with regard to that which would be the most perfect place on earth. Paradise. Do you not see that here is this garden? It was a place of security. In fact, that's what the word garden originally meant. Place of security. Here's this perfect abode for man to be in with this married couple. Fast forward and we have another marriage between the bride and the groom. Between Jesus and the church. You go from this one flesh, husband, wife in Genesis to the bride of the groom, the church in Revelation. You go from a garden to a city, that's the picture and the transition from the beginning to the end. That's a similarity and the contrast. That's where you have this beginning and the end, and the end is far greater than the beginning. That's the picture in this vision that John has. And as we go and get closer in this vision, he says, I saw the holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. 
And as he said in the previous verse, as this view is taking place where this heavenly Jerusalem is coming down from out of heaven here before John's vision, he also noticed there was no sea. You know, for the song that I love, and I love how beautiful heaven must be, I think one of the stanzas was talking about how, you know, how they're just standing on the seashore in that. But the reality in Revelation is in chapter 20, there's a sea. Chapter 21, the sea is no more. I don't know the total significance of what that means other than the way I read Revelation. And in Revelation, the sea is always used as the evil coming from it. The dragon, the great dragon of chapter 12 comes out of the sea. All the dead go into the sea. The sea represents things of that which is evil, and evil is no more. Let me tell you the difference between the garden and the city now. When you look at this vision that John has, and you contrast it with the garden, in the garden everything is perfect, but there's one thing that is there. A person who we call Satan. He is there in their midst, and at some points, at some point, excuse me, he tempts them, right? We, we read Genesis chapter 3 of that temptation. But in the passage here, no such exist. There's a difference between these two. And so while everything is, is perfect until sin comes in, everything where sin has taken place now is gone with this new Jerusalem. And this is what John is wanting those who lived in the first century who were under duress because of their belief in Jesus Christ, wanted them to have a conviction of so that they could have this hope and look forward to this place where they would never be tempted again. This is the new Jerusalem where everything is made new. God will take away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow. And from the very beginning, that's exactly what you saw in the garden. Death and sorrow. And since then, it's what keeps us going through life, asking questions like, why did this happen to me? Where we have experiences of great pain and agony over the loss of someone we love or the things that happen against you because of your belief in Jesus Christ. And mind you, if you've not experienced it yet, give it a few more years, maybe less than that in this country, and you'll begin to have it more personal, and then these words will become much more clear to you. It'll happen. It's happened for many believers around the world through the centuries for those who stand up for Christ. But no more. When you enter that place, that heavenly Jerusalem, whatever it's going to be, there'll be no such experience of the flesh will get hindered. I want to fast forward now to verse 9, and I want to continue with this reading. He goes from the city, and eventually he's going to transition into the people, and we'll get to that in chapter 22, but look at verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me, talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, 
descending out of heaven from God. So imagine a vantage point that you're looking from far, far, far away, and this mountain would be greater than any mountain that is here on the planet. I'll tell you why. He goes on to say that this is a place having the glory of God, verse 11, and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she, the bride, had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Some of your other translations, like the New American Standard, will say, if I remember, New American Standard or maybe the English Standard Version will say 1,500 miles. Put in perspective, 1,500 miles from an earthly vantage point. Now, one of the things I tried to do on Google Maps was to find out what does that actually look like here in the country that we live in. And the closest I can get to that we can get some visual is go from Nashville to about 100 miles before you reach Phoenix, Arizona. 1,500 miles. Now, go north into Canada. <laughs> That's your city, okay? 1,500 square miles. If I'm not mistaken, someone get their calculator out. It's like over 2.25 million square miles or however that works out. Multiply 1,500 by 1,500 and then whatever. You guys, math, you guys know how to do that. Ben, you can do that. Nashville is about 50 to 60 square miles, not 2 million or 200,000 or whatever it is. I don't know what the 1,500 by. It is so huge, huge. And that's just that way. Now go up that way, 1,500 miles. That's the picture in John's vision. You take all the cities of the earth, combine all their square mileage, and it is not but a fraction as far as this visual. It is grand. And then he says there are 12 gates, three on each side, right? Representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And underneath the city, 12 foundations with the names of the apostles. How beautiful. That from everywhere around the world, the people of God come into the city from the north, from the south, the east, the west. They all come into this one glorious visual of this abode that we call heaven. Jesus was saying in the Gospels, you know, 
I have many dwellings or mansions, depending on your translation, I've prepared for you. Can you imagine? The dwelling place, the beautiful dwelling place that John is, is being shown by one of these angels and what it looks like. That's from afar, from a, a if you will, that he's looking at this glorious vision that is given. But now, he gets even closer. We go further into it, and, and I want to go past um, verses 17 through um, 21 and go into verse 22 so that you look at this picture again. Unlike the city of Jerusalem, the old Jerusalem, the one that was destroyed, the earthly one, he says in verse 22, I saw no temple in this new Jerusalem. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The Father and the Son are the temple. They are tabernacling, if you will. They're dwelling in the midst of the city. They are the temple. And he says, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The Lamb and God and the God Almighty all one. They are the temple. They are the source of light. And the nations of those who are saved, verse 24, shall walk in its light. There is complete sharing, fellowship in this dwelling place. That's the picture of how glorious this is. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and their honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there will by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So let's, go, let's look at this picture. In this picture of John's vision, you go into this city. And for those that are in our Nehemiah study on Wednesday night, remember what they had to do every single day after the city had been rebuilt and the walls had been rebuilt? Shut the gate. Make sure it's shut so that it's secure that nothing evil will come in. But here, the gates are open. The gates are left open. There is no night. Everything that night it had become in Scripture had represented evil, right? Darkness. At some point it did. I don't know if that's what, when, when the beginning was just dark and void, that that was evil per se, although some may suggest such things. But we do see later on in Scripture that darkness represented such. That's where evil takes place at night, in the dark, in secret. But it's daytime. The gates are always open. And guess what's so different about this? In the garden, after sin took place, the only gate that led way into Eden was guarded by an angel to keep man from entering this holy place. But now, not only is there no evil, there is no possibility of evil coming into this place, so much so there is a huge difference. If you go back through Scripture, when God made all his creation among the angels that were created, with free will was this 
evil existing in the presence of God. I'm not sure if you've thought about that. But in this new heaven and new earth, no such evil exists. Satan, the devil, if you will, and his minions, all have been reserved for darkness forever. But you see, they existed at one time in this place, and now in the new Jerusalem, no such possibility is there. That's the difference between heaven and the new heaven, if you will. And the earth and the new earth, if you will, as given in this vision. It's a most beautiful picture, brethren, that, that when you consider every possible angle that you can for evil to get back in there again, John's vision shuts it all down. That's what the angel has shown him. No possibility that evil could ever exist once again in the presence of God. That's what we have given this chapter. And here's where I want to finish. When you go to chapter 22, there's a shift. It had been transitioning from John looking afar, then John getting up close and seeing the temple, and now John is looking at the people of God. The focus where all this starts. When God created man, he was his crowning creation because God had intended to have a sharing eternity with his creation who longs for him. And so in chapter 22... In verse 1 following. And he, this angel, showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of this river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. They shall reign forever and ever in the garden from the midst of the garden flowed the great rivers of the earth remember that reading that here it's right from the throne itself these are the waters of life and on either side is the tree of life that's the picture given do you know what was not here the tree of knowledge of good and evil, not here, gone. Remember that possibility of sin? That was there in the garden, the possibility because man could choose. Well, man has already made a choice. The men who choose to believe in Jesus Christ, those who choose to honor and worship God and not take on the name of the beast. And for those who had made this choice, no more choice is available but fellowship with God. And what we have is healing, if you will, where you're made whole and complete, live forever and ever. That's the picture that is given. You can freely partake every day of the year. Not like these trees that bloom once or twice, depending on the kind of trees that you have, or the fruit trees that only bloom for a season, and they're gone until the next season. It's all throughout the year for you. That's a great picture. 
And he's looking into the city and not just seeing buildings, but he's seeing tabernacle. He's seeing dwelling. He's seeing people dwelling with the Almighty God. And if you notice, there's a difference in chapter 21 and 22 in that in chapter 21, God Almighty and the Lamb are its light. God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. But in chapter 22, just Lord God. Because they are one. This intimate fellowship is what gives hope for those that come to church that praise God in songs when I say come I'm using it in a very loose way of the way we use that phrase that spend time dwelling tabernacling among believers if you want to know why it's important for us to assemble together as a saints brethren it is a shadow of eternal dwelling for all those who call upon the name of the Lord why we would not want to fellowship with each other is beyond me. But when all this flesh is taken off, brethren, and all of our flaws, all of our weaknesses go by the wayside, we put on the new garments that are pure and white, then every one of us will have that same desire of fellowship. We won't have any weaknesses shackling us down or keeping us away from each other. That's how beautiful this place is. No one can ever harm you. No one will ever tempt you. Satan himself cannot do a single thing to you anymore to tempt you away from our almighty God. This is a picture I wish was given to me when I became a Christian. You see, I've said this to you a few times. I became a Christian because I just didn't want to go to hell. How much more glorious on why to become a Christian than to see the glory of heaven and the hope that you can have of being with this amazing creator called Abba, Jehovah, whom we know as our God. I long for that, brethren. I don't always live this way to long for it. But it's moments like this I get reminded just how amazing the dwelling place of God is. Brethren, I want you to long for it so much. It moves you. It moves you to move with great faith and conviction to such a point you share with others how glorious our God is, how longing for forgiveness He is on everyone's behalf. He longs to be reconciled with the man who has left Him. To bring him back into his presence. That he can dwell with them. That was his desire. It's still his desire forever. But not many will call upon the name of the Lord. And as a result. Just as Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 7 verse. Well 21 following. Jesus is going to say to those who he says to depart. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. But to all those who have come to know Jesus, there's that intimate fellowship once again. He's prepared a dwelling place for you and for everyone who would call upon his name. And so I'm begging you, if you're here and you have not called upon the name of our Lord, do it this morning. Please, 
we, we are just reminded through Wes and Patsy's son's accident, just what it was, a freak accident, tree twisting and going a different direction. And now his life, although in better situation today, it still hangs. Things can go wrong. We don't know what could happen. We hope the best for him. We expect the best that he's made it past these, these two days. But you don't know what can happen to you. I beg you, by the mercies of God, you come to him. You don't want to go to hell, but boy, you sure should want to be and long to be with God in heaven. It's a beautiful, beautiful place if you look at it from his perspective. Far greater than you could ever imagine in the way of the flesh. But that's your invitation. And I pray that you'll accept it. Brethren, if you're struggling, this right here is supposed to encourage you. Encourage you to say, thank you, God, for giving me this future dwelling place. I've got a few more moments of, of living, living life in a place that is far from heavenly. And only unless you are caught up in the way of the flesh that the greed of life will suck you in do you forget about heaven. May this be a reminder. This is so much greater for a place to us to be. And we're just citizens in a heavenly kingdom living as pilgrims here on earth. Will you accept that invitation to come back to the Lord if you need? Why not do it right now as together we stand and sing?